Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, my next guest is in a class all his own. Dating back to his first season at the Utah Jazz 25 years ago, he has performed over 900 NBA games, has donated 16,000 plus hours of assistance in the community for more than 300 community organizations, and raised more than $1 million for charity in the process. He has taken home more than 40 community and national awards, including eight mascot leadership awards, keys to two cities, been honored by three individual governors, been named Mascot of the Year in the NBA five times and Best Mascot in all professional sports nationwide twice. He has been inducted into the YMC Hall of Fame, the Utah Summer Games Hall of Fame, and the Mascot Hall of Fame in 2006. Please help me in welcoming a man who is smarter than your average bear, the original Utah Jazz mascot, the bear, John Absey. All right, man, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate your time today. Um, tell us how you ended up at the Jazz in the first place. Oh, that was a pause, meaning I need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, I mean, we can have long pauses and be uncomfortable for people. That's fine. I'm going to sorry to continue on. No, uh, it was all by accident, really. Um, it it kind of found me. Uh, I was going to school um, up at Morehead State in Minnesota. Uh, I was trying to go for a law degree, which uh as you can see did not happen so thankfully I, uh, yeah i was uh i was working with the cba and a couple of those teams just for college jobs just to get a little extra money and um ended up finding out about a tryout out here in utah and it was a three-team tryout and it was uh in the same location three teams yep it was okay. sacramento seattle and utah and it was over at westminster college here in town and um, I remember I was sitting there just like, God, I, I need to go. I got to try this and see if it'll work. But I was a college kid, broke, I didn't have money. So I looked out and I remember I was going to sell my truck and I went and got the paper so I could get the classified number out of it. And that day I get a call from Teresa Pryor, who was our game ops uh, director. And she said that I was one of two people that they were flying in. The other guy was a guy out of uh, ASU and, um, so uh, out of the 10, there was two of us they brought in. I got out here. Um, and being that I had a little bit of prior experience at the CBA, I had a few props that I brought. Uh, but they gave us five things that we needed to do. And I, I was the only one that did all five. Um, what, everybody what were, else. What, what were those? What were the five things you wanted you to do? Had a dance, crowd interaction, skit, dunk, and tumble. And... I wasn't good at any of them really. <laughs> it's just, I just was, had enough in me to get by, but there was a ton of guys that were exceptional gymnasts, like the ASU guy. There was an exceptional dunker. His name was Eli Akins and he could jump out of the gym. And then uh, the biggest competition really was uh, Greg Holton, who used to be the Salt Lake Eagles mascot, Icy. And, uh, and, you know, he and I were actually, along with Eli, were one of the two people, three people that they brought back for second tryouts. Um, but like, yeah, like I said, when I left, I walked out of there thinking there's no way I'm getting this job because I, I got to see a few of the guys tumble and dunk and it was amazing. But I, I do remember though that I was one of the last guys to go. I was the last guy to go actually. 
And I remember they only had one gorilla mask that actually fit and it had sponges in the front of the forehead. And I remember they tightened it down and all eight guys or nine guys before me, all their sweat just rolled right down my, oh, I was dry even. It was gross. That is, that is the dark side of being a mascot. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, came out here for second tryouts and we, we had to put on huge Barney costumes. And um, I, uh, you know, brought props and, and once again left thinking that Greg Holton for sure was going to get it. But when I got home back up in Minnesota, I got an offer from all three teams. Wow. And because I was such a, just a kind of a dumbass, I guess, <laughs> I was, I just never called anybody back. I was a small town farm boy and I just was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to leave. So I didn't do anything. I just, uh, I literally just sat there and didn't call anybody back until Grant Harrison from the Utah Jazz reached out to me and um, asked me, he's like, what, what have you done? You know, are you did you take the offer from one of the other teams? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, you want to come out here and give it a shot? And I was like, uh, okay. So if he wouldn't have called, I wouldn't have taken the job. That's interesting. Because you looking back, people would you look at the, the how the mascots have, have come, you know, how far they've come, people would have died for that spot. And you had three options on your plate and you just said, eh, whatever. It wasn't, man, whatever. It was, I'm afraid to move. I'm afraid oh. my, to get out of my comfort zone. I was afraid to, you know, move to a big city. You know, I'm from a town of a couple thousand. So I don't know. It, it just freaked me out. So you said yes, obviously. Yep. And that was... What year did you start with the Jazz? 93. When you came in, were there, obviously you were the first one that the Jazz had ever had, correct? So there was no like playbook by any means that they had. Did you, how, when you came in, was it just a, uh, anything goes, I, you know, total open or what's the word blank, blank check kind of thing on what you could do and couldn't do sort of kind of i remember i remember sorry grant harrison telling me all right i'm gonna give you enough for, he goes you're the mascot and he goes i'm not he goes, so i'm gonna give you enough rope to hang yourself with he goes just don't hang yourself <laughs> so Perfect. i just laughed but he uh you know he, he wanted me to push the envelope he wanted me to to get out there and and uh try and show everybody what uh, a mascot can do and I was really fortunate because I remember him asking me he's like we really want the program to be like the Phoenix Gorillas program and uh, they let me they let me do a lot of stuff they let me get away with a ton of stuff but yeah if it wasn't for for management like a Grant Harrison the character wouldn't be or wouldn't have been as big as it was because they weren't afraid to do things because you know we're in, we're in such a, a sue happy world now that everything is done by committee and it kills a lot of creativity. Oh, big time. And they just, they, they were willing to take the risks, you know, to, cause like so many teams, they sit there and they're, and they're like, you know, Oh, I don't know. And you know, is it worth it? And uh, our team, you know, with Grant there was just like, you know what, it's live entertainment. We don't know what we don't know. So he let me push a lot and we learned a lot. There was so many things that we learned 
that was like, you know, I, I remember a, a number of times where I'd sit there and I'd be fighting, fighting, fighting for a skit or a video. And I'd go out there and they all said they didn't want to do it. And I'd said, Grant, trust me. And he'd be like, okay. And he trusted me. And it was awesome because I'd go out there and the skit would go off great. And I'd look at him and give me the thumbs up. And uh, that that's really what was awesome is, is that trust between us, you know, that he trusted me with my ideas, uh, my opinions, my view on where the character should go. And um, he didn't let other management try and step in and wreck it or run it. Which happens a lot. All the time. You have management that come in and they have zero clue. It's like, you know, the, the cook, you know, in a kitchen walking over and, and he's uh, all of a sudden been, been put in charge of uh, automotive sales. And he comes in and starts dictating what needs to happen before he even, you know, sits down and sits in the trenches with you and uh, learns you know, the whole job, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to find nowadays is management that will actually uh, sit down and, and uh, you know, see exactly what the program's about before they put their two cents in. I, I had yeah. a manager after Grant left um, and I just completely spaced his name. How could I do that? Nate Randall. That was it. I love that guy. But he, uh, he was talking to me and he couldn't understand some stuff about the program and why we were doing this and why we were doing that. And I told him, I said, listen, come down and work the game as one of the bear crew guys and you'll see. And it was awesome because he did it. He came down, put on a t-shirt, put on a hat and he was a bear crew guy for the night. And afterwards he's like, I get it now. I totally get it. And what I loved about it is he was willing to set aside his title in order to better understand the program. And he was able to put on a t-shirt and a ball cap and go out and throw balls into the crowd, just like any other bear crew guy. Yeah. Like being in the trenches for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was awesome because then he, he fully understood what I was talking about. Which allowed you the freedom and you, you weren't worried about is, am I going to get nailed for this or reprimanded for this? Which is, yeah, that's a great, because people, I mean, people go to the games for the entertainment. Yeah, the game is great, but they want all the entertainment value, you know, for the price of, price of tickets that people are paying. And uh, yeah, that's, again, that's why I used to go to games is for the mascots, not the game, because I didn't really follow the games at all. I was just looking for the clowns, people I could, people I could identify with. Right. You're there, you're doing it. Did you, could you envision where it, where it eventually led to? Or did you think this might just be a, a couple of years stint? Well, I told my wife now, when I moved out here, I said, don't worry about coming with. I said, I'll be back in a year. And then when that year was up, they offered me another contract uh, for five years. And I went back to North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota, picked up my uh, wife and brought her out here. So, and then we're, and I told my wife's mom, I said, don't worry, we'll be back in five years. And 28 years later, <laughs> we're still here. Still in, still in Salt Lake. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you, you have done an amazing, amazing job. I know I, I met you, gosh, in 97. 
I believe that's when I first met you when we did, uh, there was a mascot reunion for all the people who were um, big blue at Utah state. And then you were obviously you weren't big blue, but we invited you cause you were, you were nearby and, and just watching you guys were, was, was a phenomenal experience. And I had been doing it for three years or three seasons for a small soccer team in Denver at the time. And uh, I remember your costume freaked me out because everyone else's costume, they were completely hidden behind the mask, but your eyes were your eyes. And it, 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 it wigged me out. I didn't like it at all. Cause I'm like, that guy's looking at me. I, so I, I love the fact that, I mean, a lot of people did not like the real eyes as characters. Cause they were like, Oh, the makeup or all oh, this. I loved having my real eyes because all of a sudden I could change my expression by just squinting or opening them wide or, you know what I mean? It was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. It helps your communication and it allows you to do so many more things without the fear of, you know, looking through a tunnel. Cause that was the biggest challenge of being behind a mask is, is just, you have no peripheral vision and, you know, getting right. into that and train, retraining your brain. But you, that was, that was what I noticed about, you know, you had your own eyes. So it, it, it allowed you to do a lot more, I think safety wise. Quick break. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain one. It's free Two. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Three, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. Four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It is so stinking easy. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You will not be disappointed. And we're back. Um, so you're into this. You were the mascot for 25 years, correct? At the Jazz? Uh, yep. I was a mascot for the Jazz for 25 years. Okay. Tell me some of the things, like the, the highlights, like what the some of the greatest moments you've had, what were they? And some of the, you know, I, obviously there, there's so many things you've, you've forgotten more about mascotting than I've ever learned. So give me, give me what you can. About mascotting? No, yeah. man. There were so many different moments. I mean, there were so many things that were amazing, you know, like the finals back in the 90s. That, that was amazing. Um, the, the fact that the energy that we put into that and then the thing that sucked is, you know, for this couple months, you're in the playoffs and then in the finals, you're putting all this energy out there, all this excitement. It's just nonstop. And the second we lose, it's over. There's no like weaning yourself off of the adrenaline. And I remember I was depressed for about two weeks. I, I just was lethargic and because it was, it was, it's just over. You know what I mean? There's no uh, cheering. There's no uh, good game. It's just done. Um, then there were those moments where I remember, you know, helping out charities and, and being able to create moments for children with disabilities. And, um, you know, those were amazing moments. Uh, there were moments when you could go on the floor and do a skit that's never been done before. And, and you're shooting from the hip and you pull it off and you have 20,000 people standing and cheering and, and you, you just kind of go, holy hell, it worked, you know? Um, I don't know. There's such 
a wide array of of uh, moments. And uh, I, I would never be able to pick one that was probably the best. You know, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2006 was amazing. Um, uh, I think a lot of fun moments were just being able to have my kids show up at the game with me and uh, hang out. I thought that was fun. I mean, look at Kenny. Yeah. You know, he's got his I, – I would have loved to have my kids be able to step in and, and uh, become mascots. I think that's amazing. And for those of you listening – Kenny is uh, the Denver Nuggets mascot who just retired after 31 years, whose son, one of his, his oldest son is the Detroit Pistons mascot and his second son has taken over his role, but that's secret. Nobody knows that. Right. Not wink, 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 wink. Well, I know that the, just the, the adrenaline, the, the energy, like say the energy of being in a crowd is it's intoxicating. Um, the team I, I was a mascot for, we had smaller crowds. I think, you know, 10,000 people was, was a good crowd. Um, but that being able to just be, be the focus, be the star, but that the, at the end of the game, taking the head off and being nobody again, that's what I loved about it. Just that contrast. Cause you could walk through the crowd and you wouldn't get accosted. Right. After, no, it, after it's the- uh it, you know, it was always interesting because I'd go out with some of the players every now after games and it was awesome because I'd just be sitting at the table and you'd have these players, you know, getting constantly assaulted for autographs or this or that. And I'd always just laugh and be like, damn, I am so happy. I get to just hang my job up and I can walk around and be me. Yeah. Of course, you know, with the numbers they're getting paid, I, I would I would deal with that kind of annoyance for a while anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but it was good. No, man, that, you know, the other thing that was amazing was being able to, um, the other thing was uh, being able to, uh, um, I'm trying to remember, the uh, the reunion up at Utah State. Yes. With all you guys. That was amazing. That was so fun. Yeah, it's not because it's not often you get a, a whole slew of mascots in the same uh, same location. It's almost like rats crawling over a building. It is everywhere. They, well, it was it was just a lot of fun to be able to because we were all young, we were all starting out in our professions, and it was just fun to sit and talk with each other. And it was fun to because I remember most of the time just sitting there watching you guys work, trying to take stuff off of you. <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, I'm stealing that. That's good." Well, I know it's all, yeah, it's well, everything is stolen to some extent. I mean, you 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 try it and you tweak it and make it yours, but it's and I yeah, that's what I did notice is with the mascot world is for the for the most part everyone is very open and wants to help the others succeed. You know, unlike a sales team where everyone's cutting each other's throat, it's a different, it's a different animal for the animals, you know? Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it's kind of interesting though. Cause like back when we were there, well, I got a story for this. I remember back when we were there at that reunion a hundred years ago, back in the middle of the nineties, Ken uh, Rocky from Denver uh, was there. And I remember we were talking afterwards and we, he asked me what I was going to do the next, cause we both had games the next night. He goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to go up in the stands and I'm going to do a birthday delivery and I'm going to trip and throw it in the guy's face. And I go, what are you doing? And he told me, and, and I'll be a son of a gun. We do the games that night. I'm out at uh, a restaurant uh, eating after the game. 
and I'm watching ESPN and there's Sports Center, there's Rocky going up the stands, tripping with his birthday cake and smacking it in somebody's face. And I remember I got on the phone, I'm like, USOB. I was like, yeah, you so he got he got the because that back in the day, you know, getting on Sports Center and ESPN was awesome. So that's yeah. what you kind of strive for, you know. And he stole and your he he stole your gig. He stole my thunder. <laughs> it's still funny though. No matter who's doing it, it's still good. So, um, the what I one of the things that when I was doing it that were the most rewarding, and I'm guessing it's the same for you, was doing appearances at like children's hospitals and things like that. That was the magic that nobody saw, that nobody videoed, but just knowing that you could put a smile on someone's face that you know had a, a little kid who had terminal illness or something. Was that similar for you? Oh, big time! You know, um, you know that 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 is the one thing. Because I remember when I started, it was a couple years in. I wanted to start doing charity work, and I remember I was I was doing very few appearances because. The, the team at the time wanted me to do just three certain charities. And I told them, I said, if I do those, I'm going to do about six appearances a year. So I started doing charities and then I got on TV and they saw me at a special Olympics and they got called in and they yelled at me and said, they only want me doing these three. And I said the same thing again, I'm only going to be doing six appearances. I want to help out the community. They told me no. So then I'd go out and I would do appearances <laughs> at charities and uh, they'd always find out. And then I remember uh, almost getting fired. And I remember looking at him and saying, great, you guys fire me for doing charity work. I go, I want to see how that flies. And it got really heated with me and one of the VPs. And they finally were just like, because they knew I wasn't going to stop doing it. And they finally said, okay, you take the calls. You can do your charity stuff. And I uh, turned that into doing about 99.5% of my appearances were all charities. The 0.5% was sponsored events. Um, but if it came to a charity or a sponsor, I'd always do the charity instead of the sponsor, but it worked out pretty well. I mean, I remember doing, uh, 300 to 350 appearances for charities, uh, every year. So that's a busy schedule on top of your games. It was crazy. I remember one year I, and this was the years, that I did the 350, but I remember sitting and I, we, we went through the season. I got out of the season, went through the summer, just busting butt, doing all these appearances, went into the season again, doing all these appearances and literally was working seven days a week, hitting charities, doing games, all this stuff. And it was about middle of January and I was sitting at a school getting ready to go in. And at the time I was using this makeup that had alcohol in it. And so it just burned my skin. And I remember just touching my face would hurt. And I was so tired and so tired of the makeup. <laughs> and I remember I threw my head off because Luke came in and he goes, Hey, it's, you know, we got to run in, you know, the, uh, the assembly starting. And I just started, this sounds really bad, but I go, I just started bawling. And I said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I threw my head, he had to go in and tell him I got sick. And Oh man. So I went, I went back to the, to the team and um, they gave me three weeks off to just recoup. <laughs> so, and then after that, I learned my lesson. And then uh, that's when I started, you know, I cut my appearance times down. I picked and choose a lot of my appearances instead of doing everything that came at me. And so it was good. I learned a really, really big lesson right there. Yeah. You gotta, you don't want to burn yourself out because then you can't give anymore. Right. I mean, and it's tough because it's like 
Yeah, it's like riding a horse wet and putting or riding a horse hard and putting it away wet, man. You just you burn it out and it's hard after that to get uh any good energy, you know? Yeah. So, t- so you've you've created some of your own charities, is if I'm not mistaken. I know of the one, the uh, the mascot bowl event that you do. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, no. Um, so I, I remember I started out uh, a long time ago, and it was uh, right when I first started. Her name was Brenda Hoskins, and she worked for RC Willie, and and the owner was Bill Childs, and he was doing something called Childs Christmas, and he funded the whole thing and, and they would take kids shopping and I started going along and I'd ride on the uh, fire trucks and hang out. And then probably three, four years in, he said that he was, he, he was going to not do it anymore. So that's when I stepped in and, and Brenda and I talked and we decided that it'd be great to do bear hugs Christmas. So we started out with bear hugs Christmas and Bill funded it for a little while and then he stopped again and then we needed to find uh, money for it. And that's how the, the mascot bowl started is I needed to figure out some way to raise money. And I'm not good at putting my hand out and asking for money. So I thought I'd just try and earn it. So we uh, started mascot bowl down in Lehigh with Becky White, who was one of the sports marketing teachers. Um, and it grew and grew and grew. And one of our last years when it was out at Sky Ridge out in Lehigh, uh, we had almost 10,000 people and it just, it exploded. Then Becky retired um, and we had to redo it. And now we're doing it out at Harriman High School out in Harriman. And uh, the money raised takes kids, they each get a hundred dollars unless we don't get that much money, then it just slowly whittles down to 80 to 70 to depends on how much money we get. And then we take them uh, all shopping and the kids who help put the events on are also the ones who get to chaperone these kids. So they get to experience an event um, and how to create one as well as they get to see kind of like what their hard work went for, which is taking these kids Christmas shopping. And it, and it opens their eyes to the real world that not everybody has an iPhone. Not everybody gets what they want. Yeah, Definitely. That's an awesome story. And so what are, uh, what are some other ones that you're involved with or is that a long list as well? Oh, no. I mean, I, I mean, involved with uh, a lot. I mean, like, you know, uh, for the kids, they, uh, they give food to children so that they, uh, on the weekend, so they have something to eat. There's best seat in the house, which Ivan, he takes children and creates moments for them by bringing them to different events. There's mascot miracles. Uh, there's angel hands. There's um, kind of like Camry. I mean, there's a ton of them. The, the one that I am uh, involved in that is basically a charity with my name on it is uh, Firemen and Friends for Kids. And uh, what that one is, is we, we needed a 501c3 um, when we first started, and his name was name was Eldon Farnsworth, and he started the 501c3 so that we could park the money, have a place for it to sit, and make it a write-off, and then we pull it out and pay for Christmas. I mean, the most expense that we pay is just our accountant, which is $500 a year. Otherwise, every dime goes straight to the kids, which is another thing that I'm trying to do because we started something else called Working for Charities. And what it is is I wanted to create a group that of uh, people and that have done a lot of charity work 
and I wanted to try and bring um, awareness to the grassroots charities that are out there, the smaller charities. Everybody tends to give to United Way or Wounded Warrior, you know, this way, you know, all these big charities, but they don't realize that, you know, with some of them, literally you, there's 55 cents to 60 cents that actually goes to the charity. Everything else goes to its administrative costs. But when you give money to a little charity that's local, you're, you're looking at about 99 cents on every dollar goes to the charity. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, the, these little charities, when you give to them, you are technically given to your neighbor, to your cousin, to a friend's friend. I mean, it, it stays more local. And uh, like with Harriman, you know, we do the game there and we take kids from Harriman area that are underprivileged Christmas shopping. Um, so it's, it, you know, it, it's good. I just wish more people would give to the smaller charities to take the time to do a little bit of research with them and, uh, and uh, uh, give to those charities instead of the big ones all the time. The mom and pop charities, as they say. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's awesome. All right. That's uh, it's, it's pretty inspiring that you do all that. And what a platform the jazz has been to allow you to, to get to that point. Um, now, you left the jazz a couple of years ago, correct? Yep. Is that something you can chat about? Heck yeah. Classified? No. Okay. What's that story? Now, you know, um, I had amazing management for 24 years. And then we had a new president come in and he shook things up and brought in his own style of management. And um, that style basically caused a ton of people to quit, a ton of people to get fired um, because it just it wasn't a very good culture that what that they were establishing. And he didn't create me. And, and, and the only thing I can, this is kind of where I, the, I can only think of is that, he, you know, he kept always talking about my team, my arena, my, 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 and I was one thing that he did not create. And when the, uh, we, they had a survey that was done and I had a 96% approval rating and the bear was third in popularity, just underneath Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And then a week later I get called in and uh, Jeremy Castro was like, he was my boss at the time and a boss, not a manager, but he basically was like, Hey, we need to change the character. And I'm like, what do you mean change the character? And he's like, yeah, we, we, we need to change it. And I'm like, but my survey came in, I go, I'm not broken. And he goes, yeah, sometimes change is good for the ch sake of change. And we went back and forth and they wanted me to be like no stunts, no anything they wanted. And, you know, barely out on the court, they wanted me to shake hands at the door and just rub heads in the crowd. And I was like, that's not what the character was built. So we went back and forth. And uh, I mean, and that's really kind of where it went is that they struggled with me because I would not, <laughs> I would not stop doing stunts and not stop riding my motorcycle. And, and I just wanted to continue to be the bear. I didn't want to change it. So um, in the end, uh, I did my two games and, and we parted ways in my agreement. It says I retired and I guess I retired. So that's yeah. what I quote unquote retired. That's crazy that they would take, they would want to minimize or diminish such a huge asset to the organization. That's, that is like dumb blind pride. If I didn't oh, 
know any better. Brother, if you would have seen the things that happened during that that management's run, you'd freaked. I mean, I remember sitting down with Gail Miller and she was like, John, what is the problem with the culture in the company? And she goes, you know, everybody from, you know, the custodial people to the family, you know, Miller's and told us straight up. I go, I go, Steve Starks, he's, he's killing it. So, and then I sat down with Steve Miller and he said the same thing. And he asked me, and I said, have you noticed how many people have been fired and how many people have quit because of him since he's been on board? And he said, yep. And we're looking into it. He said, where it's troubling, but nothing ever really changed until Ryan Smith came in. He saw it and he fired everybody, but it was too late. They, in the process of the year and a half or two years that they had that management and they let, they let go and shoved away and chased away so many good people in that company because they wanted, uh, they wanted new blood and they wanted in, from what I understand, talking to some of the other management in there is what they were looking for is they didn't like the relationships that were there had been created because when you have tight relationships, it's hard to get things done in their eyes because they can't threaten your job. And if they do threaten your job or they do let you go, all of a sudden they have all these people that are disgruntled now to where when you fill it with brand new people, there's no relationship. So they can fire anybody willy nilly and they can hold your job over your head just like they did. And um, that's really what they were shooting for. They, they got rid of everybody with any type of tenure because they didn't want to have to deal with that. They went with brand new people that they could pay less and they could just basically say, you know, your job's on the line. And it worked until for a couple of years until Ryan saw it, wiped them all out. But now it's too late. All, everybody's fired or, or gone. So is he running a pretty good organization now? Yeah, I do believe so. Um, from what I hear, I talked to a bunch of people and they say that he's doing a pretty decent job trying to bring back the old style jazz. Right. So. Well, that's very sad that, that someone's pride got in the way of you, you continuing to build such an amazing, you know, entity with, with, with the bear. But so now what's, what's, uh, what are you up to? these days are you still in the mascot world or are you out uh, you know selling you know selling insurance or some boring thing like that yeah I, honestly i took a year off and uh i was working for a bunch of charities just trying to help them out and i just wanted to just clear my head um but now i'm working over at Alinko costumes so i'm still in the mascot world and uh, i'm currently trying to buy it um, I really want to uh, uh, kind of run it. I mean, I just with my connections in the mascot world, I know that it'll uh, it'll benefit the company. And what's the story with Alinko? Is that uh, <clears throat> some? Is that been been around forever? It has. Alinko Costume has been around. It's actually over a hundred years old. Wow. Started out from a guy way back in the late eighteen hundreds. Um, he was basically making theatrical outfits for theater, and then. Terry Allen, the owner of the Linko right now, his dad bought it back in the 40s. And then Terry started working with them and continued until the 70s. And then Terry broke off and started a Linko, which made mascots instead of just theatrical outfits. And then Terry's been running it for 50 years and here we be. So, wow. And he, he wants out and, and I'm hoping to 
be able to step in and take the reins and, and uh, run it as well as he has for 50 years. That's quite a, uh, that's quite a feat. That sounds, that sounds a little more daunting than, uh, than creating jazz bear. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's similar. (laughs) I mean, jazz bear, everything was brand new. Everything was, you know, but at least Terry's kind of got a roadmap and just a matter of, you know, doing some tweaks here and there, but I know that we can uh, make a Linko an amazing company, uh, make it, make it a bigger and more amazing company than it already is. And do they primarily, do they uh, provide like the costumes for all the professional sports? Yeah. Wow. Any all around the world. I mean, it's kind of weird when you look at it on who our clients are, it's everybody, like everybody, every company, every school, every elementary, middle school, high school, college, minor league, and pro. Every team is a client. When you think about it, you know, they might not all come to us, but those are our prospective clients, everybody all around the world. Wow. That's quite a, that's good. That's going to be an amazing new chapter. If that all pans out, what uh, it all pans out. I know I'm excited. Where are you at in the process? Are you, you're working for them right now? Yep. Working for them. I was going to buy it last year, but then COVID hit and uh, we started doing, you know, our negotiations again here in January and, and uh, we're getting close. Good. That's awesome. Well, it'd be comforting to know that uh, you'd be at the uh, the head of that operation. Oh, I'd love it. I think it would be amazing to do. No, I just think it'd be amazing to do because I, uh, it's what I know. Yeah. So it's not like you know some schlub off the street coming and trying to do this. It's like you've been in the trenches and sucked up all the sweat for thirty years. Right. You know, you're a sweat sucker. <laughs> yep. All right. As we wrap, as we wrap this up. Is there anything that you want to share about that world that you've been in for so long and done so much with that I haven't asked you? No, you know, I, I just think the whole mascot world's kind of changed from when we were in. It's a, uh, it's a whole different feel. Um, I don't see mascots being as appreciated um, as much as we were back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I was really fortunate to come in at the peak. Um, and right now there's, you know, there's just so much hesitancy with mascots. And they don't look at them as an asset anymore. They look at them more as an evil necessity. And um, I don't know. I really wish somehow, some way we could change that and, and bring it back to uh, the good days. What do you think it is? What, do you, what What's the hesitation, do you think? You know, I honestly think a lot of it, like we were talking earlier, it's management. They come in and they're not looking at what's the entertainment or this or that. They're, they're too many, too many of the managers and presidents and all that stuff. They're they're super fans, so they just they're purists. They don't care about entertainment or mascots. They just want to watch the game. And and uh, back in the day when they were doing that, that's great. But if there's not entertainment, I mean, you're cutting out a lot of people. There's a lot of men or women or children that they go to the game to be entertained basketball is just part of it where are these where are these people trying to get back where are they where are these people coming from because have they been to a game recently that's all about the entertainment um my wife is from england and where they do real football aka soccer they have none 
these, those people are diehard. They're crazy fans and they love the game. They don't care about all the entertainment, but America is different. We love all those aspects, the dancers, the mascots, the halftime shows, the skits. That's part of the whole thing. That's like our culture. Right. And these people and don't want that. That's crazy. Well, it, it's just, they're trying, like, uh, I mean, there's a number of examples where they were telling mascots that they couldn't be out in the crowd during play because them being out in the crowd took away people's attention from the game. You know what I mean? They just want everybody to focus on their $20 million player and they don't really care about, you know, the mascot or the dancers or anything like that. You guys go out there at your breaks, do your thing, get off and then let everybody focus on the game. Which I, I can, you know, I can appreciate that perspective as well, but there's gotta be, you know, the balance. Right. And it's not like they haven't seen it. It's not like they don't have 30 years of track of amazing track record to prove that, that's what people want. Uh, I mean, I know when, when I lived in Denver with Ken in the Nuggets, they were terrible. I mean, I, I, I basically did it for free. I was his, his assistant and the, they gave me season tickets as my pay. And I couldn't even give them away to people. I said, Hey, I've got some free Nuggets tickets. They're like, yeah, no. Do you have any avalanche tickets? We'll take those. Because the Avalanche played in the same arena. But I couldn't give him away. So Ken was, he was the draw for that organization for years. So Ken, Ken I remember um, I was watching Sports Center, and it was awesome that he uh, was, how do I explain it? So the, the team wasn't very good at the time, and he was on Sports Center for when they were showing the game um three times and the team was on twice yeah well that's that was that was the reality of the nuggets at that time that was the mid late 90s and they just you know they just were having a horrible run so he was it yeah people came for him so so you guys are a magical component definitely to to these organizations for sure so and I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story with me, man. It's been awesome to talk with you and catch up. Oh, it's been great talking with you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you again for listening to the Parish to Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Paris to Thought Show.